the scripture says that God's children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I think that as we add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, we grow in grace. We grow in godliness. And so as I speak, not only, uh, you know, I'm speaking to the men, I'm speaking through the men. But let me say this as a prelude. I believe in the gifts and the callings of both men and women. And I'm not sexist in that sense. Uh, I am in Christ. I recognize that the scripture says that there is neither male nor female in Christ concerning merit, value, worth to God. Come on, God loves us all equal. We are all his sons and daughters. Come on. I've been born again or in his kingdom and we are loved and he doesn't love, you know, in any capacity, one greater than the other and certainly not male to female. However, in that context and in the right application and God knows my heart and yet I also know the scriptures but in the church and in the home there is both distinction and in order by the scriptures and again that's more challenging to even expound upon it unfortunately due to the pressure that's come upon our culture today to be a unisex society it makes it more difficult to even address the distinction in the sexes. But if you study the scriptures, you know that in the epistles, the apostle Paul did limit women in ministry to a place of spiritual subordination, not spiritual inferiority. And you have to understand that anytime someone uses a word like subordination, we think inferiority. Subordination simply just speaks of order. God is a God of order. Let's go a little bit farther. So far, only the ladies are shouting back at me real quickly. But also, let's go further. In the home, Scripture consistently teaches men as the head of the union. But in doing so, it means to be a servant leader in the kingdom of God and in your family. To the men of this church, it doesn't mean to sit in your big uh, recliner with the remote control in your hand and a beverage in the other. And as you click and turn on and off the television you think you can do that with your wife or your children that's not what it's about jesus said he that is great among us must be this come on he must humble himself and be a servant leader and that's what i believe that god is calling and has always called men to be my personal belief is that when we do not see men in their rightful place, it is usually not the usurping by the women, using the old English word found in 1 Timothy by the women, but rather it is the negligence of the man. Oftentimes, women have had to simply step up to do something that their man was unwilling to do. But I'm believing for better things than for the men that are listening to my voice today. I believe you're responding to the call of God. Our culture's drive towards equality is in actuality reprogramming God's original design for the home. And in my personal belief, it is stripping men of their rightful responsibility. The reality is this, godly masculinity has been lost in our unisex society. But I'm going to go further. Now, whether y'all shout me down or not, I'll just resolve to preach it anyhow and just go forward with it. Let me just say this. God has never disguised his call to men. He's never hidden it. He's always spoke to the man first. 
Read the scriptures. He's always spoke because there's an order that can affect everything in such a more positive way if that order is followed. From the Genesis, he cried out to Adam, where are you? Oh, y'all didn't hear what I said. I said in the Genesis, even though Eve had been deceived, Adam had willingly taken of the, of the fruit and then tried to hide himself. Once his nakedness was exposed, he tried to hide himself behind the fig leaves. When God came down in the cool of the day and the voice was heard echoing off the trees of the garden, that voice said, that voice, God was calling to the man, where are you? You have failed in the responsibility that I've given you to lead your home well and to protect your wife and your household and your children. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So there was that call. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. Yes, he was still the God of Sarah. Yes, he was the God of Rebekah. And yes, he was the God of Leah and Rachel. Yes, but when God when God called the people, God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that God, that call has been to men, to the men of Israel, he exhorted in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I love that passage in Scripture where God is challenging the Israelites based upon their experience at Mount Sinai and all that they had seen with the glory of God. God reminds them, he reminds and he speaks to the men. He said, make sure that you are teaching your sons and your sons' sons about the faith that's been exposed to you here at the base of this mountain and that written revealing through the word of God. The responsibility to educate children in the knowledge of God has always been laid first not in the soft bosom of the mother that nurses the child upon her breast, but upon the man to lead his sons and, yes, his daughters into a living, loving relationship with God now through Christ and a revelation of the Word of God. That's what the Scriptures, God has never disguised it. So the scriptural record is filled with men as you and I look to the word of God, who heard that call and then they responded. And then I love that in the passage of scripture, there we have all types of men. Uh, men are, are, are unique. We're made in the likeness and the image of God. We have different personalities. We're, we're shaped differently. We talk differently. We're, we've got different aspirations. We have different giftings. But all the while, when you read the word of God, we see the scriptural record is a call that men have heard and they have responded to. And I just want to be numbered amongst those men. I don't have to look, I don't have to be as strong as Samson today. I don't have to have the exact leadership skills of Nehemiah or Moses. Uh, Moses sustained pastoring a church of two million people in the wilderness. Even though they tried to, you know, to vote him out a couple of times and elect a new leader, he still somehow sustained. I don't know. I, I, I just thank God for pastoring the 200 to 250 people that I have in Heber Springs. I don't have to be measured against that. I just have to be who God's called me to be. And that's who you have to be, man of God. When I read the scriptures, I find out there were men of might and men of war. Go to the word of God, you'll find men of war. Men that in those days, they could, they could throw stones with the left hand or the right hand. Of course, that sounds trivial to us today in a day of ballistic missiles and smart you know, warfare and all those things. But in those days, that was a big deal. That was a big deal when the enemy was coming at you and you could have a rock in either hand. 
and, and, and could target the enemy and throw or, or to, you know, out of a sling. And so the scripture tells us about men of war that did great exploits. And we're familiar with men like David, men of blood and men of might, men of war. And leaders such as already mentioned, Moses and Nehemiah. The Bible tells us about priests and both prophets and also kings, places of great prominence. But that's not the only men of God in the word of God. People that held an office of great importance of prominence. The Bible tells us about humble men. Gracious men that are from obscure backgrounds, men that were just simple shepherds or fishermen. Are y'all hearing me today? Or carpenters. Some were men of great study and philosophy and others were simple, just barely educated outside of just the local synagogue or their, or their local home. But the scripture t- tells us about men that heard God's voice. And that's the key, guys. You got to hear God's voice calling to you. Sometimes they heard it through a vision. Sometimes they heard it through a dream. Sometimes they heard that voice through someone else preaching. Sometimes it was just when they either read or they listened to the scriptures. And sometimes it was in their own personal prayer time with their head covered by a Hebrew prayer shawl in their own closet that they heard the voice of God calling out to them. And the key is not how that they heard the call. The key is that they did hear the call and they responded to the call of God. To rise up and be the man of God at the season in which God had placed them. They were often called to do great exploits, but at other times they were simply called to just live godly in the midst of an ungodly and perverted nation. Sometimes it's just simply by being a man of God is not to be a missionary and lead hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Sometimes to be a man of God is not to be a militant leader. Sometimes to be a man of God is just simply to be a faithful husband and a loving father. And if you're neither of those two things, if you're just simply faithful unto God in the house of God and serving the Lord with your gifts and your talents, then you are who God's called you to be. Let's go a little bit further. Let me say this again. God is still calling men. He's calling men in our fellowship, but he's calling men in fellowships all across the United States and around the world. Joel said these words, and I want to speak them to you real quickly. He said, awaken the mighty men. I love that passage of Scripture. Jojo was quoting from the the same uh, vein in the book of Joel when the voice of the prophet cried out and said, wake up, men of God. It's time for you to wake out of your slumber. It's time for you to arrive at the place where God's called you and do what God's called you to do and stop being negligent of spiritual matters and stop allowing others around you to lead your family when God's called you to lead your family. It's time to awaken the mighty men. Paul said this concerning calling men. He said, I would that men would pray everywhere. I love that. First Timothy chapter number two. I would that men would pray everywhere. Men, learn how to pray. You say, Pastor, you mean it's prayer something you learn? Yes, it's something you learn. Jesus' own disciples came to him and asked them that they would teach him how to pray. I tell you, I love to see men learn to grow and pray and develop in prayer. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. And I became the pastor of this assembly. And as there was a developmental process, and when JoJo first became my associate and the youth pastor, and then we certainly added Brent and Shane, and, and then to, to, to be in a prayer room with them, and they were quiet, and they, and they were humble, and they were pious, and that's all good. But when they hung around with Pastor Brown for a little while, they learned to be vocal. They learned that Jesus said, when you pray, say. They learned to include the Word of God. They learned to speak the Word of God audibly and speak it 
it out in prayer. They learn to bind demons and devils and pull down strongholds and be authoritative. They learn to pray a, a open, audible prayer over their wives and their children. And now if you see Jojo go up in his prayer room and you go past him, he got a Hebrew prayer shawl on. He's got the Bible like this and he's walking back and forth calling upon the name of God. He learned to pray. He learned to petition God. He learned to call upon the name of God. Listen, you learn. You don't start out. No, you learn. You develop. You grow. You mature. And you just learn to find your place in prayer. I'm going to tell you, man, you can move a mountain in prayer. You can call upon the name of God. You can invoke heaven on behalf of your son and your daughter or your wife. You can trust the Lord to do great exploits in their lives because you're a man of prayer. So I believe that prayer, that that call today is going out to men to pray. God is always calling men that are husbands to love their wives. Ladies, you missed the greatest opportunity that you ever had to say amen in this house. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. To show and to display that agape kind of love. To value, I'm speaking to the husbands now just very quickly. The scripture says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. You need to see your wife as she is. She is a gift from God. You need to speak and call upon the name of the Lord and bless her. Audibly speaking the blessing of God upon her. I'll get to that a little bit more in a moment. Fathers, you're instructed by the word of God to provoke not your children unto wrath. That does not mean that you cannot tease them to the point of embarrassment. Just want certain semi-adults under the sound of my voice to know that. That is not the interpretation nor the translation. Husbands or fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath, but bring your children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up, live that, that legacy in front of them so that when they could say, show me the love of God. Certainly the love of God is always right there in the revelation of God in Christ hanging suspended on the cross whereby God commended his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. But if you also are a husband and a father, your children should always have a tangible evidence of the love of God because they see the love of God in your life and the way that you handle them. Study, he said, to show yourself approved unto God. Listen to this. A workman who is not ashamed, who is not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love Psalm 127, Psalm 128. Psalm 128, it uniquely follows Psalm 127. Just trying to see if you are with me. Happy is the man. Come on, man, are you happy today? You can be. If you know who you are in Christ and what he did for you on the cross and the love that he's revealed to you and the grace that he will give you, the Bible says happy is the man. That context later says that has uh, blessed are his children. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. I'm a happy man today with six blessed children and expanding by adding son-in-laws and one day daughter-in-laws. If you want to know how close to that daughter-in-law, ask me privately and I'll share with you a little bit more about that. Psalm 128, it goes on to say this, thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. Listen what it says, his wife shall be a fruitful vine by the side of his house and his children like olive plants round about my table. Let me tell you, there, long years ago, there was a guy that left this church. I think he was just all because he's all 
tore up on the inside. And I don't know. Uh, but, but he said one of the reasons why he left this church is because Pastor Brown was always bragging about his kids. Well, number one, every time you come to church, I'm not up here talking about my children. But you know what? If I did, I'm not going to apologize to you. Because I'll tell you what, that's one thing I love to do. You know why? Because I'm going to speak the life and the word of God over them. I'm going to call things that be not as though they were. I'm going to speak the life and the favor and the blessing of God upon them. And you can sit at home and you can whine and self-pity about your house and your household all you want to. But I'm going to call upon the authority of word of God. My children as all the plants around about my table. They're going to grow and they're going to mature. They're going to take the rightful place. They're going to have the anointing of God upon their life. And they're going to be fruitful in all that they are. They're not going to be given to drugs and alcohol. They're not going to be seduced by an evil world or the spirit of the Antichrist. The power of the virtue of the blood of Jesus stands between them and that blood will never fail. That blood will never fail. That wasn't in the notes, but I feel like preaching it anyhow. Psalm 1 says this. I'm actually going to go to this passage of Scripture right here. There is a nervous spiritual anointing here today. And what I mean by that is it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. It's stirring our hearts to believe. In Psalm 1, it says this. Listen, I'm speaking to the men of this church. Blessed is the man. Some people live in their life and they just feel like they're cursed and they're downcast and they're disheartened all the time. Listen to what the word says about you. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man, but here's the tipping point, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Come on, that does not stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But who's that blessed man? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his word doth he meditate day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He will bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I'm telling you, man, God loves you today. God's called you to be even more than what you already are. God wants you planted and continually growing in the grace of God, bearing fruit for generations. God wants you blessed for your children and your children's children. I know some of you have blended families. I know you've got stepchildren. I, got, I know there's the, that full context of life. But I'm telling you, the favor of God can be so great upon your life that all that are distantly connected to you can see the favor of God and say, that man is blessed. That man is blessed. So let me tell you this today. God has never stopped calling to men. Unfortunately, unfortunately, even with that call, Many have stumbled. I'm going to return to the text today for a few moments, just real quickly. Unfortunately, in that passage of Scripture that we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 19, with the parallel passage that, again, coincides with 2 Samuel chapter number 10. You'll have to read it to get the full context, but I found my attention being drawn to that when I was on mine and Sherry's vacation, and I was thinking about Father's Day asking for the Lord to just kind of quicken a little word or nugget or something that I could drop in the spiritual ears of the men that maybe would mark their lives. And my attention was drawn to this particular passage. I've never preached from it. I've talked about it, looked at it in the passage of Scripture, but I looked at it a little bit more deeper. And I wanted to address it just real quickly. In that passage of Scripture, as you can see, David mentions a particular king, Nahash, who was the children of Ammon. If you know anything about the Ammonite people, they were the descendants of Lot's incestuous relationship in the cave after having fled from the wrath of God that consumed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And unfortunately, there's always conflict between the people of God and the Ammonites. But during the season of David, though there is no biblical record of it, David must have had some type of positive relationship with the king of the Ammonite people because upon his death, he chose to send ambassadors, messengers, to share condolences and to share, you know, a a sincere sympathy towards the loss of their great king. That passage, though, tells us that, so so these men have come from the king with a mission and a purpose to, you know, and and I'm telling you, that would be a, a pretty cool thing. You're carrying word from the king. You've got a, you've got a, a mission. You've got, you're, there's something in front of you, an opportunity to be able to go. You're representing. Most likely they were part of David's army. David had formed a great army at this particular time whose might was being made known throughout all that region. God was expanding the nation of Israel through the, the, the warfare of his soldiers. And so these men go and deliver the message. And as the text told us, and I'm just, just for a few moments just rehearsing it for you very quickly... The, the newly appointed king, or the, you know, the descendant of Nahash, who, what was his name? This brother here was Hanun. And Hanun um, uh, began to listen to his princes. You know, I will say this very carefully. It's oftentimes a dangerous thing to listen to the counsel of the youth that you are, if you're a young adult, that you, your peers. I mean, I just feel like saying that. It wasn't in the notes. The counsel, most likely, oftentimes the wisdom of God resides in the counsel of the aged men and women. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? He listened to the princess who challenged the motive for the ambassadors because they challenged the motive of David. And they said, no, they're not here. They're not here to, to, to give condolences to you in the loss of your father. They're here to spy out the land. They're here to plot their warfare. And so in doing so, the passage of Scripture said that then, so they said, you know what, we're going to, and this was an act of, this was actually in essence an act of war. What They knew what would happen. This was an act of war. So they took David's men and they cut their beards off. Second Samuel said they cut it half off. Now, I don't know if that was from this side over or from this side upward. I don't know. But they cut it off. And then, also, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that in a moment, but, but even prior, though, they cut their garment off to the buttocks. Now, what that probably meant was they totally exposed the men into nudity. That's probably the context. And let me, give you, let me take you a little bit deeper into that just real quick because here's where I first found the correlation to something I want to say. I'm only talking about two things in closing today to the men of this church just real quickly. The things that I have just gleaned in my spirit that I have processed as I have prayed about how to speak to you today. It was a practice of the ancient armies that when two armies collided and one army overwhelmed the other army, that if they were able to capture the generals or especially the king, to put that king to open shame. And one of the ways that they would do so is they would strip him naked and they would parade him back to their city where possibly he might be executed back in their capital city. And that naked king, perhaps in chains, would be put to open shame. And by cutting off these men's garments... 
exposing their buttocks, in essence, exposing their genital areas as well, they were putting them to open shame, perhaps even as they paraded them through their capital city. Now, from there, let's go just a little bit farther. Some commentaries believe that the Ammonites intended to show or to reveal the Israelites' circumcision because that was something that they so despised. Now, there's something tied to that in just a moment as well, though, just for a moment. They, the other surrounding nations of Israel, despised the mark of circumcision that the men possessed, making them circumcised, but the Israelites despised the other nation's lack of circumcision. And here lie the tipping point. Circumcision was a mark of the covenant. It was a mark of the covenant. These men were in covenant with God. I'll tell you, the enemy makes a big mistake when he messes with God's kids. He does. He makes a big mistake when he messes with God's kids. And so as I was contemplating upon it, I thought about how many men, even in the church, that have been captured in our culture and have been exposed, exposed our godly masculinity to a degree has even been lost in this unisex society. In the context, very quickly, our own nakedness has been exposed, oddly enough, as men fall prey to sexual deviation, to effeminate living and effeminate teaching, or to sexual promiscuity, or even sexual abuse that is then oftentimes replicated and sometimes hid in the confines of even the church. Oftentimes when we think about sexual abuse, we think of simply the women, but a lot of times there's a lot of young boys that are sexually abused who later in life become the sexual predator themselves. But what, So whether or not you have been perpetrated against or whether you are the perpetrator i came to tell you today the blood that jesus shed on the cross is sufficient for all your sins and transgressions today the one thing that i took out of this passage of scripture as i contemplated it and tried to weave this together in the context of making a metaphor for just a moment of time i wanted to just drop this in your spirit today to any of us to men to the enemy who has taken us captive exposed us we've been caught we've been trapped maybe it's in pornography maybe it's in sexual promiscuity maybe it's in simply just not being uh, spiritually masculine to our families and being who god's called us to be let me say this about your jesus today Today, Jesus bore your shame on the cross. The Bible says these men were greatly ashamed. But let me tell you, I want to tell you about the one who they did strip. They revealed him to all the Roman eyes and all the people of Jerusalem to see. And they nailed him naked to a cross. But when they did, what they didn't know is that the blood that flowed down that tree that day would be a covering for all of us whose, whose uh, sinfulness have been exposed. God gave us a covering, that covering was the virtue, the power, and the redeeming. But I stand before you today covered by the virtue of the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross for me. And he took away my shame. He took away my sorrow. And now I can live my life in the glory of God. No matter what's happened to me, no matter what I've done to hurt others, as long as my heart's been sincere and I'm truly repentant, the power and the virtue of the blood of Jesus, glory to God, has covered all my transgressions 
And in doing so, I won't even go there, but it will also lead you to being clothed in I don't know. I don't know if King David come riding up on a horse and brought clothes to those men. But I kind of read it into the passage. I could just see, whether he went in person or not, I could just see him saying, all right, the enemy has exposed you, but the king's going to cover you. The king's going to cover you. And he covered those men. That's just the way that I read the passage. Now, let me take a moment of time to just tag team before I close real quickly. Just to just expound your understanding, the beard was viewed by the Israelites and other Oriental cultures as a man's greatest ornament. You know, there's passages of scriptures that relate directly to the beard. A man would often swear by his beard. I wouldn't be able to swear very much. He would also, he would, uh, in a matter of great importance, he would often pledge his beard. How about that? Instead of saying, I give you my oath, my word, I give you my beard. That's pretty cool, I guess. In some cultures, including Israel, to be clean-shaven was to be a slave, and free men wore beards. So you see the prominence behind it? And how, just, I'm closing, so y'all stay with me for just a few minutes. Please stay with me. A Hebrew man, according to the book of Leviticus, Joe, was not to, I didn't mean to say this to you because you got a bald head, neither to shave his head or shave his beard. Joe's just like, but I'm not under the law. <laughs> but I mentioned Leviticus because you did earlier. But that was the past. So, so that was, it was something, you know, Mephibosheth, you remember Mephibosheth? And when, when David had to flee from Absalom and Mephibosheth had been deceived by the, his servant Ziba and because he was lame in his feet and he couldn't go with David, he didn't trim his beard for the entire time David was gone because he would show David, I've been in mourning because I would, if I, was, I, I would take care of this thing is so great, I would take care of it, but I want you to show that I've been in mourning. David feigned a madness by letting spittle run down on his beard. Did you know that Isaiah prophesied that they would pluck Jesus' beard? Isaiah did. And so just for just a moment in closing today, whoever's coming on the platform can join me just real quickly. Here's what the king said to those men. And here's what I'm saying to the men of our fellowship today as I close. He said, guys, I want you to tarry at Jericho until your beard be grown. Now that sounds real simple. And it doesn't even sound very spiritual. Tarry at Jericho until your beard be grown. But what it's saying first to those men was I want you to stay there until you reach the place where you're confident in who you are and what you are. So let me make the metaphor connection to you today. I believe that the beard, whether you are clean shaven or have a beard, that's not the issue. It's a metaphor for me today, okay? Here's what I believe it means to you men today. I believe it's representing your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth, your development. You're, you're growing in wisdom and knowledge. I believe it's a sign of the maturation of faith. You know, we oftentimes look at a man's beard as something that shows him maturing physically. Now, we know there are always exceptions. Occasionally, you'll see a seventh grader on the basketball court. And you're like, 
Yeah, Clinton. <laughs> and he got a bigger beard than I do, and hair out of his chest, and he got his birth certificate. He's 11 years old. <laughs> Those are the exceptions. But in the natural, it's a sign of maturing. You know, there's growth and development. But you know, in the kingdom of God, I believe that there needs to be a mass a maturation of faith amongst our church family a restoration of faith spiritual masculinity can return to your life come on guys you can be the man God's called you to be you can even if you've been shamed that's the key even if you've been shamed stumbled fallen it was the enemy maybe it was your decision i don't know to these men it was the enemy maybe you made poor decisions i don't know but i just want you to know you can get your spiritual dignity back i'm preaching a lot better than y'all shouting right here to close the message off spiritual masculinity can return maybe you haven't always been the, the father you should have been but you know what you can start now Oh, that's a terrible amen. I'm going to just say it again. I'm telling you, you may have never been the father that you could have been or should have been, but nothing but you prevents you from starting right now. Being the father or the husband or even the son that you could be to your father if your father's still alive. You can be a spiritual leader. You can be the, a, a, a faithful man of God right here at this church. Or your church that you may be a part of. Let me tell you right now to the men of this church. Spiritual maturation does not take place overnight. It takes time for the beard to grow back. It takes time for people that you hurt to learn to trust you. It takes time for you to learn the word of God. It takes time for you to learn how to humble yourself in God's sight. And don't care about what others are thinking about you. It takes time for you to learn how to pray. It takes time for you to learn how to speak the word in faith and call upon the name of Jesus. But what I want to say to you today is, guys, I don't know when the, your maturation will take place. All I know is, is just stay in that context until your beards be grown. Arrive at the place where God can use you. Let me tell you about those men. Did you know what? Those men later became part of the army of God again. That's when God said, when David said, and you come back, said, get back in, get back in the fight. I may be preaching to somebody here today that 20 years ago, you were real active in church. 20 years ago, you were serving God. 20 years ago, you were doing all the right things, and all of a sudden, the enemy took you and pulled you away, and you backslid, and you lived a, an ungodly and immoral life. Let me tell you, the grace of God is still sufficient to find you where you're at and bring you where you need to be and make you the man of God that God's called you to be. It's not too late. Don't let the enemy, don't believe the lie of the enemy. God will put you right back in the army as long as your beard is grown. Come on, somebody. Your faith, your wisdom, your understanding. Did you know that King David eventually, if you read the passage of Scripture, King David's army eventually conquered, conquered the Ammonites. And the Bible says that they took the crown off of, what was that brother's name, Hanan? They took the crown off of his head and put it on David's. So I wrote it this way. David eventually took the king's crown. So the enemy who stripped you has been conquered by Christ. He's been conquered by Christ and made you, Christ has made you more than a conqueror. 
through him that loves you. So today on Father's Day as you stand, as I look to my watch to see how long I preached to you today, it's 12.10. I started preaching at 11.26. So it's not that long of a message today, but I did preach to the men of our fellowship. And I'm challenging you on this great day that God's given us to simply allow godly masculinity to be restored in your life. And what, by that, what, what I mean by that is to be the man that God's called you to be. Be the person that God's called you to be. If you're a husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. If you're a father, call blessing upon your children, your sons and your daughters. Come on. If you're a granddad, lead your children and your children's children into a living, loving, saving faith in the knowledge of God. I'm telling you, God will allow you to see blessing, won't he? He'll allow him to replicate it. You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water of life. You'll bring forth your fruit in your season. You may be old and you say, well, I'm out of season. God is the God that can cause you to bring forth your fruit even in your ancient of days. Come on, somebody. Even as you age, maybe you didn't bear fruit in your younger years, but you can bear fruit now in this season of life that you're in. So I'm going to ask in a simple gesture of faith today to do something real quickly. I'm going to ask you to get up. Men of God, come to the front. We're just going to pray a corporate prayer. And Pastor Brown's going to come by, and I'm going to give you a small gift today. And I know it takes courage, but let this be the first day of the start of your life of just saying, Pastor, I'm going to be all that God's called me to be and all that God's called me to do. I got you a small gift of faith here today, guys. It's a little wristband that we put together. There's a scripture verse on the back side, the inside of it. It says 1 Chronicles 19 and 5. So I don't want you to forget the scripture text. It says here in uh, letters, it says, cover your butt and let your beard grow. So I want you to wear this. And every time you do, I want you to be reminded that God's calling to you. God's calling to you as a father and as a husband to be who God's called you to be, to mature, to grow in grace, to allow his goodness to bring you back to the place of spiritual restoration and spiritual renewal. It'll take me just a moment to come through, but I'd like to, if you don't mind, guys, I'd like to just come by, and I'm going to just hold this out and let you just slip your wrist in it. But as you do so, I just want you to pray. Just pray while you're at it. It'll take me just three or four minutes to go through the midst. But isn't this a beautiful sight?